0: You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. We are at the very end of the month of July. Can you believe how fast this year has gone? I I, I mean, I'm just like, golly. We're already over halfway done with the year. Um, Bumbling towards elections Uh, Soon enough, we'll be hitting New Year's I mean, it's just like Time flies when you're having fun You know, this month, I turned 33 Thank you for the 300 and some of you That liked my Facebook post And the 200 plus of you That actually left me a happy birthday comment I was very, very blessed by all of you uh, thank you i i'm very excited you know some people they look at me and my podcast and website and work and they scratch their heads because they're like how, uh, how old is this guy you know he he looks kinda young maybe late 20s early 30s i, I don't know but uh, i don't I don't I can't make that make sense i, I don't think so i I'm confused. Well, no need to be confused. The truth is that I am just now 33 years old, which means I'm officially an adult. And I am very excited about that because now maybe I'll be able to talk to other adults about some of the cool things I'm doing. (laughs) Just kidding. You know what I am very excited about is the idea that the book Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth has received 79 reviews on Amazon and, and I'm going to tell you why I'm excited because I am believing God for 100 reviews and we are close. We're close. I'm only 21 reviews away from what I have been believing God for and I, I am rejoicing whenever I go and look at those reviews because I am seeing that the book is producing fruit in the lives of those of you that have picked it up and 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 i couldn't be happier about that so uh if you have been blessed by the book i want to encourage you look (laughs) be part of an answer to prayer (laughs) and help someone else find the blessing they've been looking for these prayers are changing the way people engage and it's working so with that said i'm also very excited about our project the bride ministries institute which now has five courses available and you can get your hands on the most recent uh available class which is advanced deliverance using the ministry or deliverance prayers from the book Prayers of Shake Heaven and Earth. It's a course designed to give you the breakdown of all the revelation that allowed us to build the deliverance prayers that we are using and others are using and having great, great, great success with. There's a reason why the prayers work, and there's a reason why they're language a certain way, and it's not taught. And in this course, you will be taught, and you will be taught very deeply, very thoroughly, and that revelation will allow you to... Um, go further with God and it'll open doors of revelation and understanding for you just as it did while I was getting the downloads for me. So uh, I want you to know that that's coming. The prayer class that we did earlier this year has already been recorded. That will be added to the Bride Ministries Institute this month. Within a few weeks, it'll be up and we will be recording the Introduction to Inner Healing course in August. And I'm Really excited about that course. It has never actually been taught at all by me. I I have not spoken about that particular course anywhere. It's brand new stuff. And I am considering doing a live presentation of that course as well. And maybe going into the fall, we'll do like an eight-week series. But I'm not sold on that. I, I haven't decided if I'm going to do that or not yet. So we might gauge some interest and then decide whether or not to present that as a live course But, and by live, I mean through WebEx, so all of you around the world can participate with equal access. And so uh, with that said, you know, I I just want to take a moment and thank all of our donors. And for those of you that have been considering jumping on board with us financially, uh, look, the Bible says, he who sows abundantly will reap abundantly. There's a blessing awaiting you from God. And also, you have to understand that generosity is part of kingdom culture. and That's what I'm about, kingdom culture. So I want to encourage you guys. You know, we're doing a lot of Bride Ministries and we want to do more if you uh, are really being blessed by the work that we're doing. Support it. Go to bridemovement.com and go to our donate page or you can write to us at P.O. Box 835661, Richardson, Texas, 75083. With that said, I'm going to uh, go to the program. Uh, You are going to get to enjoy a gentleman by the name of Mike Shreve. And I guarantee you he is going to bless your socks off. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. I'm sitting here with a gentleman that graced our program years ago, and by years ago, I mean back in 2013, <laughs> and since then, he hasn't been back, but he has been continuing to do his ministry, which is strong, which is international. He has been featured on a number of television programs, a whole host of radio Spots, And he is an international evangelist. His name is Mike Shreve. And he's been involved in full-time ministry since 1971. His passion is to see authentic New Testament Christianity in the earth, the release of God's glory, the manifestation of his gifts, and the fulfillment of his promises. Now, the first time he joined us, he was talking about his testimony from freedom, his testimony of freedom, from yoga and Eastern Religious Practices. Well, today he's back to talk about some other subjects, but, you know, Mike Shreve, welcome back to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall.
1: Well, it's great to be with you, Dan. I appreciate your steadfastness through the years and your continuance. Uh, You are plugging away, continuing uh, the work of God, and I honor
0: you for that. Thank you very much, sir. (laughs) We're doing our best. Um, I know that the first time we had you on uh, years ago, people really appreciated your testimony. And I'll tell you that that book that you had written, uh, where you included all of your testimony, I mean, it, it really was powerful. And so is this one, which I'm holding in my hand right now. It's called Twenty net, 25 Powerful Promises from God. And my first question to you, Mike, is what promises did you first encounter? Well,
1: of course, uh, I was raised in a nominal church, so I heard some things about various promises in the Word of God from time to time. But It was never really something I related to or something that impacted my life. But the day of my salvation is when I first encountered in a powerful and transformative way these promises that God has given that he acts on if we embrace them by faith. And uh, let me back up a little bit in my testimony and talk about what promises came to pass as this uh, unfolded in my life. First of all, as you mentioned, I was involved in yoga and meditation. I was a teacher of Kundalini Yoga at four universities. I was running a yoga ashram. I had about 300 students who considered me their guru. And then the Tampa Tribune newspaper did a half-page article on me that I thought was going to increase my class attendance. Instead, it alerted this prayer group in town to begin praying for me on a continuing basis. They had a 24-hour prayer chain and they had someone fasting and praying for me every hour of every day. And the promise there is, of course, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Because this, this group of people read about how I was bringing uh, yoga into their community. And at the time, it was something very odd. It was out of the ordinary. And they said, not on our watch. Uh, We're watchmen over our city. We're going to pray that God will either uh, convert the person that is uh, introducing this into our community and our culture, or that he will move it out of town. And of course, thank God, the, the first part happened. Because another promise is, if any two agree is touching any one thing uh, they sh- uh, that they ask of the Father in heaven, then uh, Jesus said it will be done. So uh, long story short, uh, during that time I was receiving all this intercession, an old friend of mine wrote me a letter and told me how he had been born again. And it stirred my curiosity. At first, I thought born again, well, that's synonymous with samadhi according to Hinduism, or Nirvana, according to Buddhism, and I just equated uh, all of those as uh, different ways of describing the same experience. But then, uh, as I read his letter over and over again, I realized it was a completely different approach, where um, in within Hinduism, the they believe that uh, there's a spark of divinity within every human being, so to find God you look within. Mm -hmm. But my friend was describing an experience where Christ would dwell in his heart uh, uh, upon request that God is outside of every human being. And in order to encounter him, he comes into you. Uh, And so this, I knew this was a different approach altogether. So, I decided to dedicate one day to Jesus, and I prayed all day long that if he was the only way to heaven and if the Bible was the only true source of revelation concerning God and salvation, that he would give me a supernatural sign that day. And Jesus did say, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. There's a promise. Uh, But uh, that afternoon... I was hitchhiking to go teach a yoga class at University of South Florida. And one of the members of the prayer group who just happened to be a former yoga student himself. So there's two huge coincidences. First, he's part of a prayer group that's been praying for me. Second, he understands my mindset because he's been there himself. Uh, He's two miles away from me when I step out on the road hitchhiking walking in a laundromat uh, to do dirty clothes, and the Holy Spirit speaks to his heart and says, get back in your van and start driving.
0: Hmm.
1: That's all the instructions God gave him. Uh, We expect to have the full picture before we act in obedience to God, but he gives one puzzle part at a time. And so he got back in his van and started driving, wondering why God wanted him to do this, and turning whenever he felt an impulse and, uh, of course, all of those are, uh, the result of promises God has given to Proverbs chapter three says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and all, uh, lean not to your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path, which is exactly what was happening to Kent Sullivan that day. <laughs> he was trusting God to lead him. And, uh, he was not leaning on his understanding because it didn't make any sense to him that God didn't want him to do his dirty clothes. And he saw me uh, hitchhiking and felt impressed to pick me up, even though he never, never picked up hitchhikers. I opened the door and looked in, and there was a picture of Jesus on the ceiling of the van. And I knew it was my answer. And a few minutes later, he said, friend, have you ever asked Jesus to come and live in your heart And I said, no, but when can I? And he looked at me quite surprised (laughs) that I would respond that quick. He said, you can come to our prayer meeting tonight. I said, I don't want to wait for a prayer meeting. If I can find Jesus, I want to find him right now. So he, he and I sat down in the back of the van and started discussing the Bible. He presented me with a number of promises, promises like, Romans chapter 10, I believe it's around verse 3, uh, where uh, it says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved or shall be delivered. And and then he showed me Romans 10, 9 and 10. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. But with the mouth confession is made to salvation with the heart man believes unto righteousness. He showed me um, a promise out of Acts chapter three, where Peter was preaching and he said, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out that a time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And even though I didn't understand it at the time, Dan, uh, that phrase refreshing, a time of refreshing. In the original Greek, it means a recovery of breath. And of course, that was true on the highest level, because the thing that Adam lost in the fall in the very beginning was the breath of God, the breath of the divine presence in his life. And Jesus restored that in the upper room. He breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so that's very much what happened to me that day. I acted on those promises and uh, several others that he shared with me, like uh, where Jesus said, he that believes on me uh, shall have everlasting life. And so I I thought, well, this goes contrary to my logic, contrary to everything I believe as a yoga teacher. I teach my students all religions are different paths to God. And here, He's shown me uh, John fourteen six. I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus said. No man comes to the Father but by me. But I thought, I- I'm adventurous enough to lunge into territory I'm unfamiliar with and don't even fully agree with just to see if there's an element of truth there. And so I knelt down on my knees and I said, Jesus, if you're there, if you're the Savior of the world, if you are Lord of all, if you're the only way to heaven, then come to me right now, fill me with your presence and let me have an encounter with you that proves the validity of these claims. And he did it, he did it. Jesus came to me, I was I was certain that I had been spiritually reborn and uh, the promises were fulfilled. And later on in my life and my journey through the word of God, I found out at that precise moment, I became, according to Galatians 4, 28, one of the children of promise. That's one of our titles. That's part of our identity. We become children of promise because whatever you are a child of, you owe your existence to. And I owed my spiritual existence as a born again believer to the promises I acted upon that day. And then Hebrews 6:17 says, we are heirs of promise. So the moment I became a child of promise, Dan, I also became an heir of all the promises that God has given in his word, the logos, the written word promises, and all the promises he's given me personally since that day, the living word promises that belong to me. And so that's what I have. I am a child of promise, that's who I am. I am an heir of promise, that's what I have. And those uh, titles belong to every child of God, including
0: you and everyone else who counts Jesus their savior. Amen. I found it really interesting as I was getting into your book, right out the gate in chapter two, you talk about the rainbow. And that's one of the first illustrations of God's agenda to give promises in the Bible early in the book of Genesis. Can you tell us about that and your revelation on the rainbow?
1: Well, that came to me at an early age. My father and I We're talking one day when there was a rainbow spread across the sky. And he used to be a pilot with the hurricane squadron. Uh, He had the right stuff. He flew into the eye of a hurricane in prop planes now. And uh, to take weather measurements, Uh, you had to have some grit, some real courage to do that. But he told me when you get up high enough in the atmosphere... And you look at a rainbow, it quite often usually appears as a full circle instead of a semicircle. Well, that was just a wow moment for me as a child to understand that. But after I became a Christian, it became a real revelation because a rainbow, of course, that symbol's been hijacked by other people in our culture mm-hmm. that have a different agenda. But originally, a rainbow represented the promise of God to Noah, that he would never send a flood on the earth again. And of course, God's kept that promise. Now, from Noah's perspective, that was a semicircle. He had the promise, but from God's perspective, from a heavenly vantage point, it was a full circle because the promise he gave, he intended to keep. of course, we have history now that proves that what he said to Noah has uh, never been broken. God's promise has remained the same through the centuries and millennia, and the earth has never been destroyed by a flood since. Well, uh, in like manner, it just dawned on me that there are 7,487 promises in God's Word. I got that figure from a great book by Herbert Lockyer called, All the Promises of the Bible. And he quoted another man who spent two years uh, going verse by verse through the whole Bible and writing down every promise he came to. And since I don't have that much time to devote to the project, I'm going to trust in his findings. And so I believe um, of the 7,487 promises, I may see them as a supposed semicircle. I see the promise, but I may wonder, will it come to pass or not? But I believe from a heavenly perspective, from a higher realm, if I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, I realize, hey, if God gave the promise, he intends to fulfill it. It's a complete circle to him. And I think that's validated by the fact that when John was blessed to visit the throne room in the book of Revelation, he said there was a rainbow not over the throne, but John said there was a rainbow around the throne. In sight, like unto an emerald, because again, let me emphasize: from God's perspective, I believe if He promises something, He intends to bring it to pass. It's a done deal
0: as far as He's concerned. So, this 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 is so such a beautiful picture, right? And of course, what do you give in a marital covenant making process or a wedding? Uh, you you often exchange rings. It's a full circle, and i looked at that chapter and I was like wow look at that God essentially put a ring on the earth and made this covenant and said it will never again be destroyed by water and he keeps that thing he keeps that thing and and so this is what happens Mike we we, we get promises in the word of God but but this is where things get a little dicey okay? Because you get a promise like give and it shall be given unto you pressed down shaking together and running over Will God cause men to give into your bosom So you have the person that well They show up at a church and they begin to give But they don't get a financial breakthrough and it's three years later and they're still wondering why there's no financial breakthrough Or you have a person, you know, they have read the word of God on healing and they have diabetes and they have been believing God for deliverance from that thing, but you know, maybe they haven't followed any dietary restrictions, maybe they haven't taken other advice, and they're just praying into it, but doing nothing else, and nothing's breaking. Okay, so, so there are promises, but yet they're not like push a magic button, and it just works sometimes there are other things involved now in chapter four you 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 have a chapter called not one word will fail which i very much appreciate because right out the gate you're establishing balance and i want you to take a minute and talk about that where where does some of the confusion come in when people begin to take this apply the promises of god and uh you know maybe go into a bit of confusion
1: well uh First of all, let me say, Dan, that I really, really appreciate you bringing in the image of a ring being given as a symbol of a marriage covenant. That was another wow moment for me because I had not connected the dots on those two things. That is a profound thought. Uh, But you referenced uh, chapter four in my book. I don't want to give people false hope and I don't want to give them just glitter and frills and not give them a balanced view of any given subject in the Word of God. Otherwise you ultimately damage people because they've got to understand the whole picture if they're going to if they're, if they're going to mature in any particular area. And, and, and so I gave a number of, uh, well actually seven conditions or uh, contributing factors. Uh, that enter into the picture when you start claiming promises. And I I could just uh, mention them in passing, not with an explanation. But number one, if you're going to see promises fulfilled in your life, you've got to set your priorities in order. You've got to be submitted to God. Number two, you've got to be tenacious. You never give up. Uh, Number three, you've got to be consistent. You've got to confess God's word often uh, in order sometimes to see it come to pass, it, it doesn't always happen after one time. Number four, you've got to be positive. Uh, you have a positive attitude. Uh, the scripture says in Philippians, uh, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God." So it's very important to thank Him and to praise Him as if it's already happened. Just like Hannah, I uh, might mention Hannah when. uh, she got the prophecy from Eli that she would have a child. Uh, she immediately uh, got up and smiled and went on her way and acted as if it was a done deal. And and so she had a positive attitude uh, even before uh, she realized she was pregnant. And then number five, you've got to acknowledge divine timing. You have to be sensitive to that. And number six, and this is a very, very important aspect, you've got to fulfill the conditions because invariably, I would say always, uh, promises are attached to conditions. And one of the best examples of that is found in the Beatitudes. It, you have two promises attached to one condition in every one of the Beatitude statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word blessed means happy, supremely happy, enriched with benefits, spiritually prosperous, highly favored of God. So that's a promise. And blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to have a mindset of being uh, uh, of acknowledging that you are bankrupt mentally, morally, and spiritually without God. And and then for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is comprised of all that God is and all that God has poured into your life: His joy, His peace, His love, His grace, His goodness, His wisdom, His knowledge, His power, His authority, etc., etc. So there you have two promises, blessedness and the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven attached to one condition, and that's having a poor in spirit attitude, acknowledging that you are poverty stricken without God. And each one of the Beatitudes is the same. It's like a sandwich. Uh, It's a condition, and on either side is the promise. Blessed are the meek, for they, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, and so on. And uh, it's the same. And quite often, promises are attached to more than one condition. And you have to be very sensitive to the conditions and fulfilling the conditions uh, in order to see that promise come to pass. And then finally... Finally, uh, and this is uh, the, probably the most important explanation to people that don't always get what they want, when they want, the way they want, in the manner they want, and that is the concept of what I call overlap, uh, because sometimes promises overlap one another, and one becomes superior in authority to the other. For instance, you mentioned people that are claiming the promise of healing, And uh, just suppose, worst case scenario, you're claiming uh, God's healing promises for someone you love, and instead of being healed, they pass away. Well, then, um, if that that person was a committed Christian, then uh, no, they did not get their healing, but another promise overlapped the promise of healing, overtook the promise of healing, was layered above it, so to speak, and superimposed on it and became superior in authority. And that was the promise that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So one way or the other, God's word never fails. Uh, and and the promises of God are going to be fulfilled, uh, but sometimes it doesn't happen in the exact manner or timing that we desire. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. So... <clears throat> Folks, if you haven't picked it up already, uh, Mike Shreve is basically a walking encyclopedic uh, download of the Bible. I uh, love it. <laughs> um, my goodness. You know, uh, how, how long have you been teaching the Word of God, Mr. Shreve? 46 years. I can tell. <laughs> I love it. So, so, folks, let me tell you something. You're listening to a man who has a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience and uh, walking the things out that he's talking to us about, um, you know. And 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 one of the things I love about the message of the promises is that, look, you don't get very far if you don't get this piece. And you can have fantastic beliefs about some of the, uh, you know. Uh, more nuanced areas of the word of God. But if you want to have a life of power and victory and you don't understand how to engage with the promises, well, you're, you're, you're really going to struggle until you get this piece. It's, it's absolutely foundational. And, you know, in your book, you, you, call it 25 powerful promises of God, because what you've done essentially in this particular book is distilled a lot of the promises down to 25 that have humongous impact and so you start off um, with the promise of divine revelation why is that a powerful promise?
1: because uh, revelation is far more impacting and transformational than information religion is based on information. Uh, I was raised, as I mentioned, in a nominal church where I got this huge amount of information on things I needed to do, things I needed to believe, things that uh, were a part of what we call, quote unquote, truth. Hmm. And uh, the information, well, some of it was good, some of it was not so helpful. Uh, But when I got revelation, when I came into the kingdom through the revelation of Jesus Christ, it transformed my life forever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I can look back to, to that day and, and experience it all over again, even though it was 47 years ago, uh, uh, because it, it was the moment when heaven came down to earth in my life and eternity invaded time and, and God encountered me and I encountered him. And wow, I was never the same. And, and, and see, that's why Peter became such a pillar of the truth in the beginning of the new covenant era, because um, Jesus asked him, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And he said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a great prophet risen from the dead. Uh, some even have s- said this or that about you. But then Jesus said, who do you say that I am, Peter? And he said, you are the Messiah, the Mashiach, the son of the living God. You're the Christ, Mm. the uh, normal New Testament rendering is, which means the anointed one. And Jesus responded to Peter and said, blessed are are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. And on this rock, I will build my church. And I've often preached that, even though the name Petra uh, or Peter means a small stone, I don't believe that's what Jesus was referring to when he said, on this rock, I will build my church. I believe he was talking about the rock of divine revelation, that the church would be built not on the transfer of information alone, but uh, it would be built from God encounters of a heavenly kind. Uh, that it would advance and enlarge itself through a common spiritual experience where God would reveal himself to people. And of course, revelation doesn't end with the initial spiritual rebirth or being born again that brings us into the kingdom of God. Uh, Revelation becomes the norm from that point forward. Uh, When we pray and when we meditate on the word of God, we should be listening with an inclined ear and uh, waiting for those spirit-inspired statements that bring life to us.
0: You know, that's so good. Uh, And and revelation is a promise. And and I I don't know about you, but I watch people transition from uh, a a place of cognitive receptivity to a place of heart-level revelation. And it's, it's, it's a world of difference. I mean, watching someone operate out of something that they own in, in, in as, you know, the revelation that God gave them versus something they heard someone pontificate on once or twice and they guess they agree with. Uh,
1: it, it's, it, it's almost, forgive me for interrupting, but I've got to inject this, it's almost as serious a difference as the difference between the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Uh, because uh, uh, if we are functioning only in our minds, that's like the tree of knowledge. But if we're functioning from the heart, that's the tree of life. Excuse me. Uh, go right ahead, Dan. Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, you know, and and it, it's just really fun. Um, you know, so I, I do a lot of deliverance and inner healing work. And, you know, we know the Bible says that he sends his angels as ministering spirits to those which are heirs of salvation and we work with the angels all the time and uh people are often blown away by how comfortable i am in engaging with them because i'll I'll just tell them you know if i discern in the spirit like well there's a spear sitting in their side or the side of their spirit man i'll say hey angels i need you to pull the spear out the angels will pull the spear out and the person will abreact, the physical body will move and they'll be like how'd you know that How, how could you that you just told them to do that and they didn't it's like well you know, Jesus is more interested in that spirit being out of your side than I am. <laughs> They're working for him. They're just waiting for the word to, you know, fulfill his will. And uh, it, it, for, for me, when I get into these ministry situations, it's not a question of, hmm, did God send his angels or is he interested in doing it? It's like, oh, no, I know the promises and I own them and that spirit realm I own as a reality. And so it becomes much easier to step out into the supernatural and and Mike I know that you have a very supernatural ministry and uh how has revelation led to some supernatural demonstration in your eyewitness accounts
1: I could give you an example that is probably one of the superior examples from my ministry back in the middle 80s I was uh ministering in India I was the first western missionary to conduct an open-air crusade within the city limits of a city called Kumbakonam. And it was a very recognized center of Hinduism. There were seven huge, huge Hindu temples and a whole labyrinth of uh, tunnels underneath the city from one temple to the next where there would be um, uh, deities in alcoves and then you'd walk another 50 feet down the tunnel, and it's another deity in a little alcove, and so the the whole city was just consumed with uh, the worship of gods and goddesses in Hinduism. So anyway, I had this uh, crusade uh, in the middle of the city, and I didn't know it, but the, uh, usually Hindu people are very gracious and kind and gentle and tolerant, uh, but uh, there were six radical Hindus that felt like their uh, responsibility was to get me out of their city. And so uh, they devised a plan where they were going to storm the platform right at the end of my message when the maximum amount of people would be there and beat me up publicly and then uh, tie me to the bumper of their car and drag me through the city. And uh, I didn't know, of course, that this plan was in place. All I knew is that at the end of my message, I felt like I was being choked by demons, and I'm sure it was the murderous demons that were uh, inhabiting them and fomenting that plan. But uh, it was very hard for me to even get words out. I felt like I had to push every word to get it out. And I knew intuitively, if I made an invitation, it, it was the first sermon thousands of these people had ever heard. And I knew that they did not have a good enough comprehension of who Jesus was to respond to an invitation. And so I was grasping in my spirit for what to do. And God dropped a revelation, a revelation into my spirit in the form of a word of knowledge. He told me, call for the deaf and tell them if what you preached is true, every deaf person will hear, hear again. I'd like to say I acted on that boldly without any tremors inwardly, but I was shaking like a leaf when I did it. Here, I'm hanging my ministry, Jesus' name, on the line by making this proclamation to several, uh, three to 5,000 people, I guess, that were gathered there that day. And uh, I spoke it out. Thank God I spoke it out because my life depended on it, I found out later. Uh, They brought me seven deaf people four of them were totally deaf and the others were deaf in one ear and the first thing that went through my mind was you better pray for one of the ones with just one deaf ear first and uh, get the ball rolling and I got angry at that little lapse of unbelief hitting me and so I intentionally, the kingdom of God suffers violence, the violent take it by force and I, I I, pushed past that moment of uh, I guess you could call it almost unbelief uh, grabbing my mind. And I said, bring me somebody totally deaf. And uh, they brought me a young man that was 23 years old that had been deaf for five years. And I started praying for him. No sooner had I laid my hands on him than I hear this crunching, crashing sound behind me. It's these six Hindus, they've got a, a, a sledgehammer. There's a huge padlock on this 20-foot-high gate at the back of the platform that's supposed to prevent break-ins. Well, they're hitting that padlock over and over again. And I thought to myself, I can't handle a distraction here. All the preachers on the platform are looking around to see what's going on. I'm getting distracted. The guy I'm praying for is getting distracted. I'm turning my head around to try and figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden, The gate swings open. Six men start running toward me with this angry look on their faces. But at the very same precise moment, the man I'm praying for jerks out of my hand and starts jumping up and down, screaming that he can hear again. Well, the crowd goes wild. Perfect timing. I mean, God, God is so amazing. Uh, But it gets better, Dan. It gets better. Because the, the head of this radical group of Hindus stops dead in his tracks. And he looks at this guy jumping up and down, screaming he can hear again. And he walks over and starts whispering in his ears. And the guy's repeating the words back. And he's shaking his head in awe. And he calls all his men over, and they test him too. And they're shaking their head in awe. I did not realize at all what was going on. I didn't find out until the next day when I met with those six men that came to kill me. And uh, and uh, what happened is that man I prayed for was the next door neighbor of the head of the Radical Hindu group. <laughs> you talk about a genius God who orchestrates these things. and 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 it all hinged on that flash of revelation, call for the death. And if I had not done that, I would be dead, most likely, unless God had intervened another way. Uh, but uh, I made an altar call that, uh, after all seven got healed, by the way, and, and this is kind of an amusing little sideline, I thought after that first one got healed and these six men inspected and verified the miracle, I thought it was a pastorally appointed checking committee. ...to (laughs) verify the miracles so that uh, the people couldn't doubt it. So I prayed for the second one, third one, fourth one, fifth one, sixth one, seventh one. They all got healed, and I invited these six men to come and check the healing, and and they were shaking their head and nodding now, saying, oh, another miracle is taking place. This one is hearing also. (laughs) So uh, I gave an invitation. Over 500 Hindus came forward and gave their hearts to the Lord Jesus, and uh, several Catholic nuns came forward and asked to be born again. It was, a, it was just a beautiful night. The six men who came to kill me bowed down on their knees on the platform and received Jesus as their Savior. And all of this huge miracle
0: of what happened that night hinged on a flash of divine revelation. That's profound. Uh, speaking of this, Promise number 18, and I'm skipping a bunch, but we'll come back to a few of the others. Uh, promise number 18 is signs and wonders. Now, there's a lot of groups of believers that really struggle with signs and wonders altogether, and I, I think some of that stems from a, a small success rate. You know, I, I've seen a lot of folks that were raised in an environment of unbelief and they go into a uh, moment where Faith is required in order to move something supernaturally, and they don't see a manifestation, and it reinforces their belief system or whatever, and they struggle with the idea that signs and wonders is for today. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, this is still a, a, a big uh, portion within the greater body of Christ. Uh, not too many of my listeners fall into this. category anymore but you know we we, we 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 do acknowledge that this is a real thing and and i think for some that are you know journeying this thing there's there, there's an acknowledgement to say well you know god may still work in signs and wonders sometimes under some situations for some people but how can you say it's a promise
1: well because of isaiah chapter 8 verse 18 mm-hmm. uh it may not be, and let me underscore, that in order to understand any given part of the Word of God, you've got to lay line upon line, precept upon precept. You've got to take everything that refers to any given subject in the Word and mix all of that information together to come out with a balanced and correct exegesis of any passage. And, uh, Isaiah 818, and I don't want to get too lengthy because this is kind of a complicated thing, but this is where the prophet Isaiah said, see, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are four signs and four wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Now, that was literally fulfilled with Isaiah on one level. And incidentally, I'm sure you agree with this, that many times the prophetic word in the Bible and Uh, prophetic words that come to us personally have layers of fulfillment. And the first layer of fulfillment was Isaiah's very own children, because the children that were born to his wife were given names that were prophetic names about what was going to happen next to Israel. And uh, it's very interesting to follow through on that and, and see the amazing way it came to pass or, or uh, especially to the Jews of the Southern Kingdom, who were the ones that, uh, that Isaiah was specifically referring to. And uh, how does that relate to us then? Somebody may say, well, if that was originally about Isaiah's own children, then we can't take that out of context and apply it to ourselves. Well, if you go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13 you'll find out that the very same verse was applied to all sons and daughters of God in the new covenant. And so on the next layer of revelation, yes, that's a reference to us. And it's as if the Messiah himself is speaking, not Isaiah now, but it bumps up to a messianic level, whereas the Messiah speaking. And the supportive evidence for this is available to anyone if they inspect these Scripture passages. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, it's as if the Messiah is speaking, and he says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders. And the first part of that is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13. So I believe we can take that as a general promise, a corporate promise for the whole body of Christ. Does that mean that every child of God is going to have signs and wonders every day of their walk with God? No, Uh, I go through lots of days and weeks and months where I don't see what could be labeled a sign or a wonder that is magnificent and supernatural and intense. But I do believe I'm on heaven's radar uh, for those kind of things because God uh, confirmed the word uh, when it was preached in the uh, first century, the Bible said God confirmed the word with signs following. And I, I don't believe he's changed his methods, Dan, because uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, if if every sign and every wonder happened that we appeal to God to perform, uh, if it happened flawlessly all the time, without fail, then we would, Have control over God, which is of course what New Agers uh, believe. They believe uh, that God is a subservient energy force that is controlled by the right incantations. And uh, I'm glad you brought out something similar to this earlier in the interview, that it's not mechanical like that. I, I forget your exact wording, but it's not mechanical where you throw in, it's not magical. You use the word magical. Uh, yeah, press the magic in. button. <laughs> right, right. You don't throw in certain formulas into a, a, a universal computer, hit a button, and bam, out comes exactly what you've asked for. Uh, in fact, more often than not, God does things different than we anticipate. Uh, and sometimes we miss it because it doesn't come in the form we think it's supposed to come into. And probably one of the best examples of that is the manna that God promised to send from heaven to sustain them in the wilderness. They were out walking over top of the manna looking for bread that appeared like the bread they were used to eating. They probably thought matzah bread was going to fall out of heaven. And instead, it's it's small, it's round, it looks like frost laying on the ground. Moses scoops up a handful of it and hands it to them and said, this is the bread from heaven that God promised. And they call it manna, which means, what is it? What is it? This is not bread like we relate to. And yet it was the answer, it was the sign, it was the wonder that God sent, but they didn't pick up on it because it didn't come like they expected it to. And uh I was preaching on that just recently, and I said, Some of you women have been asking God to send you a husband, and you've got this image in your mind of what you expect God to do, tall, handsome, wealthy, intelligent, and God sends you a short, stubby, uh financially challenged guy <laughs> that may not have degrees at the end of his indicated by letters at the end of his name. But uh and, and you look at him and say, Manna <laughs> What is it? Because it doesn't come in the form you're expecting. So we've got to be open to God's creativity and and God's mind on the matter, because uh, quite often He does things
0: quite different than what we anticipate. That's a, this is a, a very interesting series of thoughts. You know, I I uh, I, I love that you bring out Hebrews two thirteen most people don't consider that to be a promise to them. And and, and I'm so glad that you bring it out. You know, one of the things that people just need to settle on deep in their heart is that uh, we are a supernatural people that serve a supernatural God, and we have been grafted into a supernatural priesthood. And our job is to interface heaven and earth. And that is not going to happen without signs and wonders. It's just the way it is. Which brings me to promise number two, which I'm actually really excited to talk about. And you call it inheriting God's kingdom. Now, I, I talk a lot about the kingdom. I mean, the kingdom of God has been a, a major, major piece for me. Ever since I began to understand God's kingdom as the realm of heaven, the state of heaven, the uh, government of God over which he presides as king, everything changed for me. I mean it, it literally just shifted the way I viewed scripture, the way I engaged with God. I understood, you know, this is not a social club. This is not just a religion. This this is government. And I am in this government as a vessel, as someone who is submitted to a king. It it's just a different way to think about Everything and it makes more sense that way. Well, you said that promise number two is inheriting God's kingdom. Talk to us about it.
1: Well, I'm on the same page with you, Dan, on this because I don't belong to a certain denomination. I'm not anti-denominational. It takes organization to accomplish anything, but my whole mindset is being a follower of Jesus and a child of the kingdom. Matthew thirteen thirty-eight calls me a child of the kingdom, and then James two five refers to us as heirs of the kingdom. So once again, that's who you are and that's what you have. That's your identity. You are to identify most, not with an earthly organization that only has a temporary existence, but an eternal kingdom that cannot be moved. And uh, I'm a kingdom man. (laughs) That's what I preach. That's what I teach. That's what I love. But uh, I'll give you James 2, 5. Uh, Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Now, right there, the scripture even says it's a promise. And the prerequisite, the condition is very simple. God said you have to be a lover of God. You have to be a lover of God, not just a lover of religion, but a lover of God. And then God doesn't say, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom, which is the traditional thing you hear in various fables and stories. Some kings saying he would give half of his kingdom if some subject accomplished this or that. But God doesn't say half. He says, I'm going to give you all of my kingdom. Well, that's a corporate promise to the entire bride of Christ and uh, all the people of God. But it's also uh, an individual promised us. I believe each one of us individually inherits everything that is comprised uh, by the kingdom of God. So what does that involve? What does that include? Uh, I've taught on the kingdom of God for 20 weeks in my church, so there's no way I can fit it all right here. But uh, very simply, I'll tell you two things the kingdom is by telling you what it's not. Uh In one particular passage, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I believe it was chapter 4, verse 20, something like that. He said, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Now, what does that mean? It, It means that it's not just confined to a belief system, a system of concepts, theological ideas. It is a demonstration of power, where when the kingdom spills over into this realm uh, through a willing vessel, that powerful things happen that are supernatural. Uh, And there's transformative things that take place that could only be traced to God. It couldn't have happened by psychology or medicine or counseling or uh, somebody just deciding to turn over a new leaf. There is a supernatural element that is... Unmistakable, mm-hmm. and so um, it's, it's fantastic, really, when you start seeing this. So the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And then there's another statement uh, that is in uh, Romans. I'm trying to remember the exact verse. It's Romans fourteen, thirteen, or fourteen, somewhere in there that that says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy and this is very important, in the Holy Ghost, or in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not, talk. uh, that's Romans 14, 17, by the way. That's not talking about human joy, or human peace, or humanly attained righteousness. That's talking about a whole new kind of joy, peace, and righteousness. That's supernatural joy that is so intense that Peter called it joy unspeakable. You can't describe it in human terms. And the peace is so supernatural, the scripture describes it as peace that passes understanding. And the righteousness, well, Jesus said, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you can't even enter the kingdom because it's supernaturally imparted and imputed righteousness. It's the righteousness of God poured into us that makes us flawless in the sight of heaven. Wow. Amen. <laughs> uh, like a friend of mine said, wow, I'll say that backwards. Wow. <laughs> it, that, that is just so fantastic that you and I can participate in a kingdom where those are not rarities. Those are commonly experienced gifts, the joy, the peace, the righteousness of the kingdom of God, because it's not in word, it's in power.
0: And it changes lives forever. One of the things I, I, I do like to talk about, and if, if uh, anyone has ever taken our kingdom course, we've gotten into this, is that the kingdom of heaven has a culture, right? And many people understand church culture, but they don't understand the culture of heaven. That's awesome. And the culture of heaven is where Things like righteousness, peace, joy, honor, worship as a lifestyle, play out hospitality, all of these components of what God desires to be attributes of his children on the earth. There's a way that that is expressed in heaven, and there's a way the church has tried to fabricate it through behavior modification. And oftentimes, they're not the same thing. And people feel that disparity... And can get offended and wounded by it. But truly, I think where people have missed it, and that's one of the reasons why I love this particular thing you put in your book, where people have missed it is that they haven't known that they can actually grab their modeling for the culture that the Bible inspires us to have on earth from the realm of heaven by enjoying time there because it is their inheritance. By engaging in the, the realms in Christ Jesus, you know, uh, because the Bible says we have been raised up and seated together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and right. we can only do that because that's our inheritance in Him. And so I love this as a a, a promise because you know, so many people. I, I mean, even in our ministry, we 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 have. Uh, had so many what I would call church dropouts converge on us because we have put forth a message that's filled a lot of holes and gaps in, in people's experience where the church has not acknowledged things that we're saying. Well, no, that's a real thing and God has a solution for that too. Uh, but there's been a lot of wounding, a lot of this, a lot of that, and a lot of disparity. And um, the ability to receive this promise and to engage with it I believe solves a lot of problems. Anyway, just my thoughts.
1: Uh, can I share a story? I would this love
0: another one of I your stories it. right now, Mike. I, I mean, I, I, since the last one had me riveted.
1: <laughs> well, right, uh, well, this other one happened in India also, because the kingdom loves to manifest in areas that are opposed to it. And of course, the, there's about 87% Hindu, 11% Muslim in the uh, population of India, or at least those are figures I heard years ago is probably changed dramatically because there's a real revival there going on. But, uh, God loves to manifest his kingdom where it's not well received. And, uh, that's something we need to get in our mindset. Uh, in fact, let me revert to, uh, a pastor that I was talking to many years ago. He had invited me to come and preach in his city. And, uh, there was very few that came out to this meeting at a local, uh, it was like a, a civic center. And uh, he started making excuses for it, saying, well, brother, brother, we're not getting a very good response, but this is a hard city. I hate that assessment. This is a hard city. And my immediate response to him, with a smile, I didn't act with respond with hostility, but with a smile, I said, brother, I said that's not a sufficient reason for little fruit taking place. I said, because if there's ever been a hard city, it was Jerusalem. That's where they killed the Messiah himself. They crucified him. That was a hard city. But I said, that's also the city where uh, 50 days later, the power of the Holy Spirit poured out in the upper room And the disciples uh, were used to introduce the kingdom of God in such a way that the whole city was impacted. I said, so no city is so hard that the kingdom of God cannot make the difference uh, when there's people who know how to link up with that kingdom and allow that kingdom to use them. But anyway, the story I wanted to tell was over in India. Uh, I'd been in India for about a month, this particular trip, and I was exhausted Uh, I was in the airport at Bombay, uh, which is a very massive airport and very uh, uh, busy, extremely busy airport. And uh, unfortunately, I found out when I got to the airport, I had a 14-hour layover there. And uh, I was really uh, disturbed that I would have to sit there in in this hot, and sweaty environment for 14 hours with nothing to do because I didn't have an interpreter with me and most likely couldn't talk to anybody uh, successfully. And so I'm sitting there wondering what I'm going to do with all this time. And uh, this guy from the airline comes up to me and says, "Uh, listen, we have a policy. If you have over an eight-hour layover, we'll put you up in a five-star hotel. Well, my eyes lit up because I thought, whoa, this is God blessing me for my month of effort here. (laughs) And so I got on this uh, shuttle that took us over to this really luxurious motel, the likes of which I'd I'd never experienced. And I walked in, I was checking in, and my eyes immediately were drawn to this sign over their restaurant, a very luxurious restaurant that said their special that night was a steak and lobster. And, uh, that's before I started, uh, uh, keeping any kind of, uh, rules against, uh, eating shellfish and, uh, anything out of the ocean with, uh, except, uh, fish with scales. Of course, I don't keep that religiously, but I I think it's a good health choice. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, my eyes lit up when I saw that and I thought, this is God's reward, praise God, because I've been eating pretty simple, fare for about a month. So I head for the restaurant, and I go halfway through the door of the restaurant, and the Holy Spirit comes on me, and I hear the voice of God saying, don't go in there, go out on the street, I've got a job for you to do. Well, I I must admit, I was very disappointed uh, that God wasn't going to allow me to have this wonderful meal. So kind of half-heartedly, I get out on the street, and I I made up my mind that if I was going to be functional, if I was going to be useful to God, I had to do it with all my heart. So I kicked away uh, any feeling that I, of disappointment, and I, I got into the mindset of a soldier. And I started walking down through the alley next to the big hotel. And over and over again, I was praying. And this is the key element. This is what I was getting to. This uh, over and over, I began praying, "Your kingdom come, your will be done." not as a request, but as an affirmation, a declaration. I was declaring the invasion of that dark area that was filled with unbelief and uh, anti-Christian bias, etc, and I was declaring the the kingdom's advance as its representative. And as I walked down through that alley saying, the, God's kingdom come, God's will be done in this place. I declare your kingdom come, your will be done in this place. All of a sudden, this tiny little man, probably about four foot 10, ran out to, to me out of this luxurious restaurant next to the big hotel, a different restaurant. And in a high pitched voice, he said, what is your name? I said, well, my name is Mike Shreve. He said, that sounds like a Christian name. By any chance, are you a Christian? I said, by the way, I am a Christian. He said, by any chance, are you a Pentecostal preacher? I said, by the way, I am a Pentecostal preacher. He said, good, there's a man needs to get saved right now. Come quickly, come quickly. I couldn't hardly believe it. Uh, This man had been witnessing to his boss for two years and that night his boss had come into work and said, I don't know why, but on the way to work, I decide what you have is real and I want it. He was intimidated praying for his own boss. So he runs out of the restaurant hoping there'll be somebody out there to help him pray. And I happen to be walking by halfway around the world from home at the right place at the right time connected to a kingdom that was invisible that was about to invade the realm of time in a very significant way. Well, I witnessed to that boss, after about an hour, he gave his heart to the Lord. Then he told me, he said, I'm going to turn all the lights down low in my restaurant, and then I'm going to close the shutters, and I'm going to lock the door. Well, that kind of sounded strange. I said, well, what happens then? He said, then I'm going to call all my cooks and waiters out, and I want you to tell them what you just told me. I said, well, what religion's are uh, represented in your kitchen. He said, I, I have a Buddhist. I have a Jainist. I have a Muslim. I have three Hindus. I He named off about five or six different religions. He called them all in. He interpreted my message because some of them weren't English speaking. I gave an invitation and every single cook and every waiter and every dishwasher in that restaurant, gave their hearts to the Lord. And within about two hours, most of them were filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues also. It was an incredible night. I never missed the steak and lobster. (laughs) Not at all. Uh, And it was just because I prayed the prayer that Jesus put at the top of the list. He said, when you pray, pray our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I don't think people understand the power of praying that prayer in every
0: negative circumstance they face, in every challenging circumstance they face. That is so good. Uh, that That is just an amazing story. With, with that said, you know, there, there are... I mean, you have 25 promises in this book, and, and we've talk, what, talked about three. <laughs> I, 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 want, I want to hit two more before we, we're probably going to run out of time. And the next one that I want to have you talk about is the hundredfold return. Oh, wow. Okay? I, 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 I want you to break the... And, and you know what? I, I want you to um, keep in mind, you know, th- there's a lot of people... Uh, th- that really, really struggle with seeing a return on investment. You know, they they, they, they are sowing in different ways. They're going through different things. And sometimes after a season of no breakthrough, things like a hundredfold return just seem absolutely uh, fictitious. So um, I, I can't wait to let you talk about this promise.
1: Well, when I got the real revelation of this promise, it blew me out of the water because I had been misapplying this promise for many years. And quite often uh, as a minister, when I would receive an offering, I would appeal to the people on the basis of the idea that whatever you give, is going to come back to you a hundredfold. And of course, quite often I would tag to that, the statement that God doesn't always return it to you money for money or uh, material possession for material possessions. But I still was misapplying the scripture to a certain degree. And then I went back and inspected it in context, in context. In Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, Jesus answered and said to his disciples. Now, what's, what's the context of this? He's just told a rich young ruler to give away everything he owns and to follow him. And because he had great possessions, he turned away sorrowful. So that's the scene in which the statement uh, is uh, being injected or um, being apl- as being applied to what just happened. And I guarantee you, there's a reason Jesus said it to his disciples and he didn't say it to the rich young ruler. Because if he had said it to the rich young ruler, he might have had second thoughts and said, well, I'll follow you if I'll get a 100 times as much money and a 100 times as much uh, material possessions. Uh, But I don't think that's what Jesus was really implying. Because the disciples, uh, after the man walked away, Jesus said, how hardly shall... uh, the rich enter into the kingdom of heaven. And they expressed surprise at that. And then he qualified it and said, how hardly shall those who trust in riches enter the kingdom? And, uh, and uh, they questioned that. And then Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you the, uh, Peter said, well, what about us? What about us, Lord? And Peter and Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and for the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So what did he mean by that? I'm convinced... Uh, that it's a little bit different than a lot of people would interpret. I still believe that God rewards any giving that takes place, whether it's financial or time that is invested in the kingdom of God or efforts or gifts and callings that are invested in the work of God. God God does have a reward system in place, and, and He does, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, so that's not wrong. But I believe what Jesus was really saying, he spoke this to people that had given up everything for him and he wasn't telling them that they'd get a a hundred times as much money back for the money they'd lost from quitting their fishing business or their tax collecting job. Uh, but he was saying what you receive as a reward will be a hundred times greater than what you've given up. And, uh, He never mentions money in this promise. He mentions houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children. Well, I haven't received a hundred times as many brothers. I've only got one brother. But I do have millions of spiritual brothers and millions of spiritual uh, sisters. And I have thousands, tens of thousands of spiritual children that I've helped bring into the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe he was talking primarily about the enlarging of your sphere of meaningful relationships. Let me say that again. I believe he was primarily talking about the enlarging of your sphere of meaningful and holy relationships. Because uh, I did what the disciples did. I don't advocate everybody doing it. I don't think it's necessary for everyone to do it, but 47 years ago when I was saved in the fall of, um, 1970, I guess that's, yeah, it's about 47 years ago when I was saved in the fall of 1970, I gave away everything I owned several months later. I had a good construction job. I was working, uh, a regular job from like seven in the morning till five at night, making good money. I was given 90% of my paycheck to the work of the Lord and keeping 10%. But there was a certain point where another brother and I in the Christian commune, I was a part of, uh, read that scripture where Jesus said, except a man forsake all, he cannot be my disciple. He said, you want to do this? I said, sure, I'm game. And so we gave away all our money, all our material possessions, uh, And gave away all our clothes We kept one change of clothes Which we felt a little convicted about Because Jesus said forsake all But we found out uh, that second set of clothes Came in real handy in the laundromat And we had to wash the first set Uh, Probably kept us out of jail Uh, But uh, anyway uh, Of course speaking in a lighthearted way there But uh, I gave away everything I owned But the main way it returned to me is Dan, I've been blessed to win about 70 or 80,000 people to God, I I would estimate, uh, as I look back over my life. And so I have brothers and sisters that I never would have known, never would have been connected to. And I've stayed in hundreds of homes around the world. I've been invited uh, by hundreds and thousands of ministers to share their pulpit. And so I've had this, because I was willing to leave my construction job give away all my money, I've had this tremendous enlarging of my sphere of meaningful relationships. And, uh, and it's enriched my life. I am richer for all the... Best. Well, I'm richer for knowing you, brother, and for having a spiritual covenant connection with you. And, and so I'm so thankful that I was willing to take that step of faith in the very beginning and, and give away what was seemingly important to me then but I've gotten so much more in return so uh, yes God does reward people but I don't always believe that you can predetermine is going to be in a financial way uh, or in a material way it may come in something far more important
0: hope that's a good explanation Well, I I find it somewhat refreshing and I think it's very insightful Mike and um you know one thing about God he always works through the assembly the ecclesia the community he always works through family which is why we have to become part of his family to have any part with him uh and this really puts the focus on that concept as as part of the promise of God to us I think it's really powerful and um, there's one more thing that I want to get you to talk about before I uh, get to the end of this thing uh, at least for today um, which is exceedingly abundantly beyond you, you, you okay. name that as a promise. And, and it just sounds so uh, well, exceptionally extravagant, <laughs> you know, it's like promise number nine, exceedingly abundantly beyond. Uh, I and, like plenty. whoa, <laughs> go ahead.
1: Well, uh, let me uh, reference the exact scripture. It's Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. This says, not to him who is able. So it is a divine ability. <clears throat> not to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. So that last phrase is the condition. So there is a certain power in us that, could well determine the release of this exceedingly, abundantly beyond uh, scenario happening in our lives. We've got to believe. We've got to, uh, uh, instead of trying to box God into a predictable pattern, we've got to release God to do the incredible, the supernatural the uh, and, and lavishes love in ways beyond our expectations, and uh, I try to uh, I, I try to connect with that scripture every now and then. When I'm praying for something very definable, I, I, I back up for a moment and say, "Now wait a second, God! You can do so much more than this. You are God. There's a hundred million billion galaxies like the Milky Way, and then some." swirling through this massive, massive universe. You're not limited to my concept of what you can do. And so uh, I like to release my faith that way, uh, because that's the power that works in us It's the power of faith. And uh, we have to release that power. And uh, I give an example in the book. And and again, the book, uh, as you mentioned, is 25 Powerful Promises from God. I give an example in the book of an uncle that I was concerned about. Uh, I witnessed almost all my cousins, uncles, and aunts after I got saved. Almost my entire immediate family found the Lord through my witness and many cousins, uncles, and aunts. And uh, But there was one uh, uncle way up in Baraboo, Wisconsin, which is just outside of the Wisconsin Dells. It's a tiny rural community, or at least it was back then. And uh, I'd pray for him. I'd say, God, uh, I pray you'll send one uh, one spirit-filled person to that man to witness to him. Pray you'll send one born-again believer to my uncle to share the gospel with him. And the doubts would cloud my mind that that there's nobody up there uh, that can witness to him. Uh, There's nobody in that community. Uh, There might not be anyone that's born again. That would worry and I would doubt, which is, of course, not faith. <laughs> and uh, finally, I decided, you know, I'm going to take the time to go witness to him myself. And I spent about $500 getting new tires, spending all that money on gas and provisions, going up there to bear boom. when I got there, I found out I was pretty much useless to God. Uh, because about two weeks before I got there, And probably it was in response to my prayers. A a busload of Christians on their way to a retreat broke down not far from my uncle's trailer. And it just happened to be his uh, son-in-law who lived next door to him, uh, who stopped to see if he could help them. And he uh, put a chain on his truck and pulled their bus to his front yard. And it took a couple of weeks for him to work on the bus. And meanwhile, my uncle, and his son-in-law invited them, since they had nowhere to go, to live in their trailers. And and they were camping out on couches and laying in, on the floor in sleeping bags at night, uh, stacked into these two little tiny trailers. And I had asked God to send one born-again Christian to my uncle, and God sent over 25 wall-to-wall Christians. When I asked for one, God said, I can do exceedingly abundantly above anything you ask or think. And instead of just witnessing, they were holding several sessions every day. They had their retreat right there in my uncle's trailer, where every morning they had their devotionals, they had their Bible teachings, they had their worship services at night. And so my uncle got exposed to the gospel, and, and that whole family was impacted. And then I show up two weeks later and think, why did I even come? <laughs> God was in charge without me getting involved. And that taught me a lesson about Ephesians 3.20. That's that's so good. <laughs> and, 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 and you know what, Dan? Uh-huh. God did that when I did not believe because Man. I was struggling with doubt that there was anyone up in that region that could even help my uncle and so i didn't really release the power of faith in expectation of that and so my conclusion is if god can do that much when i did not believe what can he do when i do believe and when you
0: and when others that are listening to us believe folks I, i i'm i'm today talking with mike shreve he is actually uh, and, and I didn't mention this before, a best-selling author. He, 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 yes, he's an international evangelist, and yes, he's been ministering for over 40 years. Uh, he is also a best-selling author. As a matter of fact, he has his own publishing company, Deeper Revelation Books. But this particular book is published through Charisma House, and it's called 25 Powerful Promises from God, Proclamations for Supernatural Transformation you know it's kind of been a theme Uh, just last week we were talking to Jennifer LeClaire who had 101 tactics for spiritual warfare and you know I've been talking about my book prayers that shake heaven and earth which is literally a collection of prayer templates that you can use for general prayers or just uh, or that specific ministry related deliverance template that you need to get the job done but you know one of my big heartbeats Brian ministries is that the Saints would be equipped And unfortunately, for those of you that may be part of or were part of congregations and fellowships where, you know, there's a lot of fellowship and not a lot of equipping, uh, sometimes podcasts like this can fill the gap and fill the void. and. You know, this book, 25 Promises of Prayer, it's going to be another one of those equipping tools where you're simply getting the nuts and bolts. You're you're getting data points on how to strategically apply what God has given you in order to stand in greater victory, uh, to to secure breakthroughs, to uh, become established in identity. And so, you know, uh, Mike, I want to say thank you for taking the time to put this together. Uh, folks, if you are wanting to pray for your child, he does have another book we're not talking about called 65 Promises from God for Your Child. Uh, before we finish, I, I just want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about your ministry and if there's anything that you want my audience to know about what God has you guys doing.
1: Well, that last book you mentioned, Dan, and thank you, by the way, for this opportunity. Uh, that was of all the books I've written so far, it's been the most successful, and uh, it's helped a lot of parents because most parents, when their children go through tough times in life, they pray the problems. They remind God of all the problems they're facing and all the problems of what their children are involved in, and they spend most of their prayer time just rehearsing the negative. And I tell them, don't don't pray the problems. Pray the promises because there's 65 specific promises God has given concerning our children. I'll just mention one. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says he is the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy with those who love him to a thousand generations. So I constantly pray covenant and mercy over my children, which I believe will give them a significant advantage in life uh, because of my walk with God. And um, and so uh, that, that Book is a real answer to a lot of distraught parents, especially. And we've get, gotten all kinds of miracle testimonies in our office from people that have started praying the 65 Promises. Uh, I do urge your listeners that have loved ones who are involved in new age spirituality or yoga or meditation, Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, et cetera, uh, they should uh, inspect uh, the book you mentioned at the beginning. Uh, In Search of the True Light that I wrote way back around the turn of the millennium. Uh, But it's a book that will not insult your loved ones. I wrote the book because at that time I could not find a book in a Christian bookstore that presented the gospel in a loving way to people of a pluralistic mindset that believed all religions were different paths to God. They were very confrontational. And so I wrote this book, to be a loving and logical way of proving to people Jesus is the only way. And it's called, again, In Search of the True Light. And I've got a lot of other books and uh, available ministry items uh, on our website, which is shreveministries.org. That's S-H-R-E-V-E, shreveministries.org. And uh, if you come, explore the, uh, the store and see what kind of books, CDs, and DVDs we offer. And I call them extensions of ministry. They're not products. They're extensions of ministry. Because I can't even, in in a podcast like this, over an hour long, I can't cover all the vital revelation that God's given me in 47 years. But I can put it in book form. And I think that's I'm a scribe in the kingdom of God. I'm an anointed scribe in the kingdom of God. That's part of my calling was to put these things in book form. And so are you, Dan. Uh, I'm sure there's vital information in Revelation that you put down in book form, and that's part of your responsibility as a kingdom man uh, to propagate what God has given you. And so, again, uh, I would like to pray before we end and, and ask God to fulfill these promises in the lives of those who have listened to this podcast. Oh, I would love that. Go for it. Okay. Father God, we just agree together. We're basing our faith on a promise right here at the beginning. If any two agree is touching any one thing, it shall be done. And Dan and I agree together for a canopy of your power, your authority, your dominion, extending out from this podcast and touching every life of every person who is listening. Let it be like the kingdom uh, with a flash of lightning going so many different directions to apply power and authority to those who are sick and let them be healed, to those who are bound and let them be delivered to those who are discouraged and let them be encouraged. Let the power of hope and the power of joy and peace and the authority that comes when we share the throne of God, because that's one of your promises. You said, he that overcomes will be seated with me in my throne. So from that position of authority, we speak healing and deliverance and restoration and freedom and joy and peace to every person who is receiving this proclamation right now. I proclaim deliverance from the throne of God, banishing evil from your life, bringing and installing health in your body, mind, soul, and spirit in Jesus' name. And all you have to do to receive of that is to say amen and agree to it and accept it in Jesus' name.
0: Oh. Amen. 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 <laughs> That's and so good.
1: I don't, I don't know if you heard it, but we just had a clap of thunder in the background at my home <laughs> right
0: then. Uh, uh, maybe that was heaven's way of saying amen. I believe it. <laughs> and the thunder clapped. Folks, uh, I've been talking with Mike Shreve. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you just got back from a long uh, extended series of uh speaking engagement so appreciate your time and folks you know he was on the program years ago and you can go in our archives at bridemovement.com and find it those podcasts were called um beyond the veil of kundalini yoga i believe that's that's, that's what we called them and um you know I, i'm going to tell you guys he'll be back uh, because we have some more conversations to have and so Mr. Treve thank you for your time God bless you folks until next time God bless and Godspeed you've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall if you would like to connect with us at Bride Ministries or to support what we are doing financially visit us at www dot bride com
1: with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere